0: us here on another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. I'm Chris Sork alongside d and we look ahead to Iowa State versus K-State, 6.30pm kickoff on ESPN2, it's Farmageddon and uh, it is in Manhattan this year as K-State looks to uh, avenge what was a 45-0 loss to the Cyclones last year and uh, get back on the right side of things to also break... A two-game losing streak. So, Dilu, let's get right into it. We, you know, we talked a little bit about this matchup last week, kind of talking what what Iowa State, uh, you know, had been up to so far this season. You know, both teams coming in with identical records of three and two. Iowa State one and one in conference play. K-State still looking for that first win in conference play here, as they uh, are zero 2 two. Their two losses to two teams that are undefeated still with Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, being those two teams, but you know, before we get too much into uh, the particulars about Iowa State and how this matchup plays out for Kansas State on Saturday, uh, gosh, this feels like a big game for K State here, getting off to a, a an zero two started conference play uh, after an undefeated non conference portion of the slate, uh, having the opportunity to get uh, you know get back on on the right side of things. Uh, with a home game against a, a team that uh, you know you co-op against a lot on the recruiting trail, and a team that smacked it pretty good last year, a great opportunity to take care of that now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, K-State's on a pretty long conference skid. Uh, the last conference game, K-State won, was all the way back against Kansas last year. You know,
0: and I looked that up, actually, nearly a year ago. Yeah. No, so, I mean, almost a, a full calendar year has
1: gone by. It's been a, a bit of a wind desert uh, in the Big 12, at least, for the K-State football team. And so, uh, you know, against a, a reg- certainly a regional rival, uh, a team that had a lot of ballyhoo coming into the season, um, hasn't looked like world beaters, certainly, uh, so far in the 2021 campaign. But uh, so it's it's certainly a, a game that K-State... Uh, it, it's a winnable game for K-State. It doesn't quite feel like we're going up against the juggernaut that we, we faced against Oklahoma. Um, but certainly a game that K-State uh, is going to have to play pretty darn well to win. But a win against Iowa State would, would be fantastic and really feel like it's turning the tide a little bit of this last month or so where it's been a, a little bit of a... The K-State fans haven't had a ton to cheer about um, and, and get K-State back on track and, and pursue a season that we can be proud of uh, with eight or nine wins.
0: Yeah, you know, and I think that's a great point. Iowa State came into the season with... Conference title aspirations, possible college football playoff aspirations. The college football playoff aspirations are out the door, but in terms of a, um, in terms of a opportunity to go play for a Big Twelve title, that's still right in front of them. I mean, they're still well in control of their own destiny in that regard. Uh, you know, with with things uh, looking at the way they are right now, it might be a little bit of a tough road, but certainly attainable. Iowa State's had kind of an easy stretch uh, to start uh, their season in terms of some games. I mean, obviously they, they lost to Iowa, number two ranked team in the country now, uh, is where the Hawkeyes find themselves. But their non-conference uh, schedule uh, c- culminated there with UNLV, who they whooped up on 48-3. to And then conference play, they, they got tripped up by the Baylor Bears on the road, and then uh, rebounded nicely the next week against KU, winning 59-7. to So, I guess you could say against the two teams that Iowa State has played that are pretty good, they've lost. Yeah, Uh, and and I think that that's something that uh, you know is interesting to look at because I think we both categorize K State as a pretty good team. I think that's fair to say here through five games.
1: Yeah, it's it's hard to say exactly how good without with with defense struggling the last two games because um, you know if the defense continues to play like they did over the last two games, I'd struggle to call this a pretty good team. Uh, Sure, that's fair to say. But I think, um, I I don't think the defense is quite as bad as they looked uh, against Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. Uh, And so, yeah, at this point, I think pretty good is a a fair, maybe slightly optimistic assessment of what we've seen so far out of this Kansas State team.
0: Yeah, and, uh, you know, I look at this here a little bit, and I look at that Baylor game. er, uh, Baylor wins that game 31-29 over Iowa State. And, you know, you look at the stats, Iowa State outgains Baylor 479 yards to 282 yards. They're even on turnovers. But really what you come down to in that game is just really kind of the big plays and... uh, the the back-breaking turnover that Iowa State has kind of later in that game. But, um, you know, really when you look at this game, all the stats indicate Iowa State should have won this game. But a big play, and in this case really the big play, uh, was uh, Trusted Ebner returning a a kickoff 98 yards for a touchdown uh, to make that a a 12-point game midway through the third quarter. That seemed to be kind of the difference, you know, in in a game that that Iowa State certainly dominated on the stats, uh, Baylor was able to outscore them.
1: Well, and and the big problem for Iowa State um, against Baylor, you know, in my opinion, is that Iowa State... Selling for field goals. Yeah, Yeah. Iowa State kicks one, two, three field goals in the first half, and adds another one in the second half, and so, yeah, of course, you're going to when you're not finishing off drives, but you're, you're still getting productive points with field goals. But that's, I think, a little bit of, of why the discrepancy looks so much in terms of yardage uh, relative to score, because uh, when Baylor was putting drives together, they were finding pay dirt, whereas Iowa State would get down to the red zone or close to it, yep. and their drive would stall out, and they'd have to settle for three points instead of seven, and that's a recipe for losing a game by uh, two points.
0: You know, and that's a huge thing. You know, in, in games with teams that are, evenly matched red zone efficiency in turnovers. I mean, that that's really what it comes down to. And, you know, we saw it with K-State against Oklahoma. Uh, K-State came away with uh, field goals and uh, a fumble when they've got down into the red zone a couple times in order to upset a team like Oklahoma. And in order to beat a team like Iowa state, uh, you got to be able to, to cash those in uh, for six rather than uh, three or turning the ball over. So, Let's go ahead and get into Iowa State here. We kind of gave a brief little rundown on what they've done so far this season. You know, when you think of Iowa State, you think of the quarterback, you think of the running back. And then you probably think of, you know, really what their defense is as a unit, as one of the better ones in the conference. Right. Brock Purdy, you know, we he's been in the league now for three, four years. And, you know, a good quarterback will definitely make some really – Kind of uh, jaw-dropping plays when he's able to kind of get out and create, but he'll also leave you scratching your head with maybe some of the decisions he's makes uh, in terms of, you know, maybe trying to force the ball into a too uh, too tight of a window or you know sailing a ball downfield that uh, that probably is against better judgment. But a guy that's a dynamic playmaker, a guy that's an experienced guy for Iowa State and uh, one. That if Iowa State's going to have some success here in the later part of the season, uh, they're going to have to do a lot better play out of.
1: Well, yeah, and in to be fair, and Chris, got to be fair. You got to be fair. Purdy's actually had, a, outside of the Iowa game, which was pretty abysmal. Yeah. um he's he's done a pretty good job this season. Um, I mean, shoot, it's UNLV. Granted, UNLV, he went 21 of 24 for 288 yards, uh, three touchdowns. I mean, that's. That's pretty darn good. Against KU, 17 of 22 for 245 yards, four touchdowns. Um, now, the heck, against Northern Iowa, 21 of 26 for 199 yards. So he's he's against bad defenses. He's doing yeoman's work and putting up the numbers. You know, everybody kind of he's, – he's the superstar everybody anticipated coming into this season. But, boy, that Iowa game sticks out like a sore thumb where he went uh, 13 of 27 for 138 yards – no touchdowns, and three interceptions. So. Yeah,
0: you know, three of his four interceptions were, you know, in those in that game. All four of his interceptions so far this season have come in losses for uh, the Cyclones. And, you know, really, when you look at what, you know, happened in that Iowa game, he, he got lifted um, late in that second half against Iowa uh, for Hunter Deckers, who K-State fans, uh, depending on how closely they follow, Recruiting may remember that name. Uh, K-State was in after him as well. Uh, but uh, now backing up uh, Brock Purdy at Iowa State as Hunter Deckers. And, and then I think, too, when you look at, at Brock Purdy's game, you know, he runs the ball a little bit, too. He's not a he, – he's the second leading rusher for the, for the Cyclones. Uh, 140 yards, no touchdowns yet on the season. But he can he is a capable scrambler and a guy that uh, can hurt you outside the pocket as well. Uh, Also, too, I think the real headliner for Iowa State, really, if you ask me, is Brees Hall, uh, the talented running back out of Wichita. Uh, This is a guy that K-State fans are are probably pretty darn familiar with now. Uh, A guy that's really kind of going in the season was maybe a a dark horse Heisman Trophy contender. Probably not really on that level anymore, but his play so far this season uh, has certainly really lived
1: up to uh, kind of the expectations he had going in the season. Certainly, and against uh Baylor he had a monster day you, we talked about all those yards and pretty got plenty through the air as well but against Iowa State Brees Hall goes 27 carries for 190 yards and two touchdowns he had a 42 yard rush in that game as well and so sir I mean Brees Hall is the real deal following in the footsteps of uh Derek is it Derek Montgomery David Montgomery. David Montgomery. I want to yes. say Justin Montgomery. Justin
0: Montgomery. We could his defense could use Justin Montgomery.
1: Yeah, right, they could use Justin Montgomery. But um no, Brees Hall's the real deal. He's he's a punishing running back. Kind of in the same vein as an as Alex Barnes, I feel like. A guy who's not necessarily the fastest, the most agile, though he is fast enough and he is agile enough. Yeah. But packs a punch.
0: That's a pretty good comparison. You know, I, I think of him as a little bit a little bit more. I mean, I look at the the measurables. They're probably about the same. Uh, I th- I think of um, Brees Hall's a little bit more dynamic uh, than Alex Barnes, but in terms of their measurables, I I looking at, it, I think Brees Hall's like what 225? Uh, Alex Barnes was about that same that that same. Uh, you know, kind of build, so I would think that uh, that's a good comparison. Just
1: just an all-around solid running back. You yeah. can do a little bit of everything uh, pretty well. Brees Hall can catch the ball of the backfield yeah. a little bit as well,
0: too. Uh, you know, a tremendous running back, no question about it. Um, and then, you know, really, from the pass-catching side of things, uh, you know, some of the Brock Purdy's favorite targets are, are Xavier Hutchinson and uh, Charlie Kohler. Um, with Kohler, um, Big tight end, a guy that's going to be an, a, an NFL player um, at the next level at, at the tight end position. The type
1: of guy you can line up at tight end and also split out wide. Too. Yeah, very just create uncomfortable matchups for some of these nickels and, and other guys who are going to be forced to cover somebody a little wider than the box.
0: Exactly, and a guy that like you mentioned when you get him out wide, he has good ball skills. You know, you can utilize him in, in goal line packages or goal to go packages. Uh, as a blocker and as a uh, as a a guy that's split out wide, a lot of versatility in his game. Love his game uh, for sure. So those are really probably the two biggest um, pass catching targets. Chase Allen's another one of the tight ends that they that they're going to throw the ball to a little bit. Uh, Iowa State, unlike not unlike K State, I should say, will run out of two and three tight end sets at times, and you know that really makes the defense. Have to, uh, you know, kind of have to guard against both things, run and pass, with this personnel grouping because Iowa State is uh, is more than happy to throw it to one of their uh, talented tight ends. Yeah, so Uh,
1: it's a it's a as you like to say, it's a multiple offense. Yes, very Um, much so. It's it's an offense that can get it done through the air and on the ground, uh, and it's complicated by the fact that Purdy is pretty comfortable uh, out of the pocket as well, and so it gives the defense a lot to think about. It forces everybody to play assignment football, and when you're so focused on you know, just containing everything, um, you, you lose a little bit of aggression and makes things a little bit tougher all around. So certainly a complicated matchup for uh, Klanderman and the defense this week.
0: You know, I'm looking here through some of Iowa State's stats, and there's a couple things that jump out to me. 36% on third down. You'd expect that to be a little bit higher. That's no, not what you want. You'd expect that to be now. Conversely, eighty-five percent of fourth down. Oh, so, cool. so fourth down maybe is, is the better is the better down for Iowa State. But you know that's so much of what you know, like what you see here. We mentioned that in the discussion about the Baylor game, settling for field goals down in the red zone, settling for field goals. You know, inside deep, kind of deep inside uh, opponent territory, and not being able to pick up those third downs, whether if it's with penalties. Or you know just misfiring, not executing. Those are the difference in winning games. And I mean, really, Iowa State. You, in a, in their game against Iowa, the game, the story there is just the turnovers. We talked about that three turnovers with, um, with uh, Brock Purdy, uh, one of which was not was not a Brock Purdy turnover, but a Brees Hall fumble that resulted in immediate points for Iowa as they right. scooped and scored. You know, when you look at the box scores and you don't, in in and, and you look at the stats, maybe you should say Iowa State should be undefeated, but just lack of execution, lack of focus, whatever the case might be, there has them set in three and two. Yeah, and
1: I mean, the box scores do include turnovers, too. exactly. And so, I mean, yeah, I mean that kind of tells the story of, yep. of the it's Iowa ball game over too much. But uh, in terms of the Baylor games, you're exactly right. that on on. Raw box scores alone, you're saying, well, turnovers were equal. Iowa State outgained them almost by 200 yards, 60 percent, 70 percent, and um, but at the end of the day, it's just not finishing drives and the defense playing okayish. But that throwing a special teams touchdown too, and all of a sudden things start making a little more sense, and the box score is a little more explainable because Baylor got one less offensive possession. Yeah. yeah. Um, but. No, I, I mean I think that uh, Iowa State, especially in the early part of the season, kind of shot themselves in the foot. Granted, the the Iowa defense ain't no cakewalk. Um, that that looks like one of the best defensive units in the country. The Northern Iowa game still a mystery. I mean because yep. you you think of Northern Iowa is probably being marginally better than UNLV and KU, but Iowa State had no issue. Solving. yeah you know,
0: by the way, speaking of UNLV, I've been keeping an eye on them this year.
1: Yeah, they had a couple of
0: nice, uh, little, surprising outings. Uh, <laughs> Is a that little, right? Later I... on. After they, well, yeah, after they got absolutely their doors blown off um, by Iowa State, forty-eight to three, and there was another game earlier in the season here. I'm getting them uh, squared away here, but uh, yeah, they got beat by um, Eastern, Eastern Washington, uh, back in Vegas. But since then. They lost eight points uh, on the road at Fresno. They lost decent. by and they lost yeah. by seven to an undefeated UTSA team. So maybe things going you know turning around out there in uh, Sin City.
1: Yeah, well maybe so. Hopefully, so hopefully the Rebs, the running Rebs, can uh, get things put together and, and put on a show out in the in the desert. But uh, regardless, they posed no threat to Iowa State. No,
0: that night. they did not. They did not. And you know, D'Lo. Let's, before we get, uh, well, do you want to talk any more on the, uh, on the Iowa State offense or do you want to kind of get into the, um, to the defense here?
1: No, other than just to point out some of the similarities between, uh, the two offenses, K State and Iowa States. I think Iowa States is probably, um, the level, the, the type and talent offense that Kleiman envisions at K State that's heavily dependent on tight ends, heavily dependent on, um, a quarterback who has the capacity to run. I think mm-hmm. the, the major difference uh, between the two offenses probably comes at the pass-catching positions, where Iowa State just has flat-out more talented options than K-State has at this point. Uh, but schematically and ideal personnel-wise, this game on uh, Saturday should showcase State fans where Chris Klein and Courtney Messingham would like this offense... Uh, it's it's the type of offense K, that K State wants our offense to look like probably uh, sometime in the next two or three years, which I think is certainly attainable. But I think that uh, at this point, the major difference between the two is probably in the pass catchers.
0: I think that's fair to say. I think that's fair to say. And you know, I think it's a, a good point that you bring up in terms of what you think that the K State offense looks like in comparison to the Iowa State offense. About like that, maybe be you know what our offense wants to look like. I think the same can be said for the defensive side of the ball, and we'll yep. get into that here in a little bit. But before we look at the Iowa State defense, folks, uh, I want to uh, talk about our friends over at Manhattan Brewing Company. Uh, of course, uh, they are the they are our new title sponsor here of the short side option, and uh, I want to just kind of tell you guys a little bit about what they've got going on. Uh, Manhattan Brewery or Manhattan Brewing Company, excuse me, is located in the heart of downtown Manhattan at 406 Points Avenue. Uh, Their motto over at Manhattan Brewing Company is simple. We brew beer for the people of Manhattan because that's what we are and that's who we care about. They have a tremendous uh, selection of beers on tap, 15 beers, all of which brewed in-house. So there is going to be sure to be uh, something to please any beer drinker's palate. Uh, Manhattan Brewing Company provides high-quality craft beer in a family-friendly atmosphere. You're able to enjoy downtown Manhattan as you're able to sip on some of their classics like the Townie, a wheat brew with citra hops, or the Conservation Kolsch, a light in color and body beer with a slightly fruity aroma and taste. Uh, with that Conservation Kolch, uh, they uh, give away $1 of every pint to the Sunset Zoo uh, to assist with conservation efforts, so a great cause there. And so uh, whether if you're looking for a place to watch the, cat, the Cats play on Saturday or just looking uh, for a place to catch up over a few beers, Manhattan Brewing Company is just the spot for you. That's Manhattan Brewing Company at 406 Points Avenue in Manhattan. And d I'm going to be going to the game. I'm going to head up there on Friday. Going to drink some beer, watch some sports. And I think I might have to go see our buddies at Manhattan Brewing Company. What, uh, what's going to be your first order, do you think? Well, you know, that's a great question, d Lou. Because I, I was going through, um, you know, our friends over there at Manhattan Brewing Company's uh, Twitter account. And I saw they have a. Hey, what is their Twitter account again? That uh, that Twitter account, DLU. You can find them on Twitter at Manhattan Brew at Manhattan Brew. So simple enough, easy to uh, easy to find there. And you know, I was looking at it, and it was an apple beer. Little, uh, it was pretty high ABV. I'm I'm getting We're all about that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Most definitely, it is the Apple Batch brewed with whole apple pies from. Little Batch Company, this blonde ale has big toasted cinnamon flavor with bright apple notes. Served on nitro, so just the way grandma would have wanted it.
1: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. how about that? So
0: I think that's going to be my first order.
1: Oh, very good. Well, yeah. I, I can't wait to hear the review. I, I'll be happy
0: to provide one. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Now, I, I, I'll i give you the review of the uh, the apple batch. But I want you to give me a review right now on this Iowa State defense. What are, what are we looking at here with the Cyclones on, on the defensive side of the ball?
1: Well, the Cycl— I mean, the defense is really what uh, butters Iowa State's bread. I mean, obviously the offense is multiple, but throughout the Matt Campbell era, and certainly this year too, <clears throat> it's the Iowa State defense that does the uh, a lot of the heavy lifting. And you look up and down this defense, and you see potential NFL players at every level. You got E.I. <coughs> Boy. E.I. Yoma? Who was Zurique? I think he nailed it. I think he would turn around if I uh, shouted that. <laughs> he, he he might. Um, he's the he's probably their best uh, player on the front four or front three, uh, depending on uh, what alignment they're in. Obviously, Iowa State runs kind of that hybridy type uh, defense that K State's kind of instituted this year with the three down linemen and uh, you know either two or three. Linebacker types, depending on the set, um, but Uwazurike is probably uh, their strongest player up there. Um, and then they just have phenomenal linebackers: Jake Hummel, uh, Orion Vance, which is a guy I know that you're pretty high on. Yeah, I'm really high on him. And of course, Mike Rose, who is the has all sorts of accolades. Yeah, he's very see. very highly ballyhooed. He's got uh, a he's got a lot of ballyhoo, and if the uh, front seven or, or six, as it were, uh, weren't enough, you also got Anthony Robinson, Anthony Johnson Jr., who's their uh, star corner, and Greg the II, who's one of their safeties, and all those guys could end up playing on Sunday that I just mentioned. But Gosh, up, and da- it, up and down the line, it's it's a really stout, solid defense that uh, is a tough nut to crack, and it's been fairly tough uh, for Big 12 opponents and. Uh, Even teams like I would have cracked this year,
0: you know. And I'm looking through, you know, some of their top players on that defense, and it's especially dominated by upperclassmen and seniors, especially not just, uh, you know, four year guys. I mean, these are fifth and sixth year seniors. Uh, Mike Rose, Greg Eisworth have been around seemingly forever, and uh, you know, I think opposing Big Twelve coaches, especially on the offensive side of the ball, will be. Happy to see them leave uh, here in in uh, at the end of the season because these guys have been playing really high-quality football for Iowa State for a while. You know, we mentioned this 3-3-5 scheme. Uh, I thought it was interesting that with what Joe Klanderman and, and, and Kleinman did here in the offseason to kind of reshuffle the deck a little bit and, and get kind of back to the drawing board on, on how we can really – uh, on how they're going to go ahead and and, and use this defense uh, going forward with the three three five, I think it's interesting that they kind of chose that. Looking at the Iowa State uh, side of things, because Iowa State once they've switched to this three three five, it's really been, I mean, it's really been a big thing for them in terms of being able to be going kind of from a you know a, a team struggling to be bowl eligible to a team that. You know, is now looked as one of the favorites uh, in the Big Twelve Conference going into the season. And I think a lot of it had to do with what they were able to do on the defensive side of the ball and their kind of uh, resurgence on that side of the ball in the last three or four years.
1: Yeah, well, and the scheme is the real story with the Iowa State three three five because you know this has really started to become kind of the in vogue defense. You know, for so long, it's been really interesting to watch kind of the progression of of how defenses have evolved to adapt to the similar evolution of Big 12 offenses over the last 10 or even 15 years. But, you know, we saw Gary Patterson come into the conference and run that four-two-five and, and have a lot of success with it uh, in teams across the league emulated it, including at in Kansas State, um, even as late as Snyder, or even as early as when Snyder was still here, where it wasn't so common anymore to see three linebackers, uh, Mike, Will, and Sam on the field for K-State. You, saw, you started seeing a lot more uh, nickel sets and that sort of thing. Uh, that um, in some of these schemes that Gary Patterson brought in. And now, since Matt Campbell got to Iowa State, he's kind of instituted what our friend Ian Boyd uh, calls the flyover defense, which is more of this hybrid 3 uh, three, 3 5 set uh, that has that 11th player, I guess, yeah. in that linebacker hybrid role. Um, and so. Now K State uh, is one of the teams that's kind of jumping on that bandwagon yep. and and it's had mixed results so far. But it's it was refreshing to see at least K State try to adapt and and uh, kind of evolve the defense into this more modern scheme.
0: You know, it's interesting you mentioned that uh, with John Heacock, uh, the longtime defensive coordinator now at Iowa State during his uh, sixth season there, I believe with the Cyclones, with with him he he has this three three five defense that's really kind of was the you know, West Virginia used to run it a little bit under Rich Rodriguez back when they were in the Big East and it, it back then. And you, but you didn't really see it all throughout college football too much. You know, and you mentioned with, you know, having that kind of that hybrid defense with what you've mentioned. I read something interesting today uh, that kind of goes about how Oklahoma State has gone about changing their recruiting uh, on the defensive side of the ball, which I thought was interesting because I think it reflects what K-State's doing now. As well as you're looking for guys that just have speed, and you say, you know, previously when we were looking back at at uh, these high school kids when we're looking to recruit them, we're looking at guys to fill boxes. Are you a cornerback? Are you a safety? Or are you a linebacker? Mm-hmm. Which which one is it? Um, now, in the the quote that I found or that I saw from Gundy, I mean, he goes on a whole answer here with it. I think it's very obvious that this is what a lot of coaches in the Big 12 have done, especially here at K-State here recently, is say, you know what, we just want to find guys that can run and can can play coverage, and then we'll figure out the rest uh, once they get here. The longer
1: and faster you are, the better.
0: Yeah, whether if it's hey, you know, you're coming in here, you know, back what it used to be. If you came in here at about 190, 200 pounds, you're probably going to play safety. Uh, But if you can't cover anybody, you can't play safety. So then you have to maybe move someplace else.
1: Yeah, put on some weight and become a linebacker. Become
0: become a linebacker. Um, so it's interesting how uh, you know in order to keep up with these uh, high octane offenses, spread offenses, you have to have guys that are able to move in space and. That's seemingly kind of what coaches at both K-State, Iowa State, and, and Oklahoma State have done here recently. Well,
1: even look at some of the younger players. I mean, you take a guy like crew Jackson, for example, who Kleiman spoke pretty highly of this week as a guy who's really showing out in practice. Um, he was a safety in high school. Yeah. Big, long guy, uh, but rail thin. Yeah. Um, but a guy who can move fairly well. Um, and he was a guy that Kleiman mentioned as somebody who might eventually fill that role that Khalid Duke Uh, has served in in the early part of this season when he was healthy and it's just crazy to me to think of a guy who played safety throughout high school and a guy who played defensive end for K-State last year are kind of finding that spot in the middle of the defense where they can both fill that hybrid uh, role where they can put pressure on the quarterback or if called upon, cover in space too, and even look at some of the roster moves, look at Wayne Jones yeah uh, a guy that was a safety and has since moved down to be kind of in that second level hasn't played a ton this year. But you're absolutely right. It, it, coaches are just really looking for speed, and especially in the middle part of the defense, it's typically, uh, you know, has had guys like Mark Simino, or we yeah. currently have guys like Cody Fletcher. Yeah. Um. But, and even look at a guy like Devontae Pritchard, uh, the young guy who's uh, from Gardner, I believe, yeah. who started out, I think he was a safety in high school but he's moving down too to play in kind of that second layer so the emphasis certainly is is on speed in the middle and it's a far cry from where you had guys like you know matt butler and uh jason kazar yeah is uh uh, former Wildcat legends i believe yeah um but these heavier guys who just plug holes in the middle um it's really you're seeing guys who are a little leaner and can the emphasis on movement rather than just strength and and being a sure tackler?
0: Yeah, so I, I just wanted to highlight that because I thought it was uh, a similarity that both K State and Iowa State share uh, philosophically, and I think is one that you're you're seeing other schools adopt here in the conference. So wanted to touch on that. Uh,
1: well, and that in really that gap there's because there's a little bit of dissonance there, right? You and I just talked about how coaches really want these guys who are fleet of foot in the middle and they can cover a lot of space yeah. and. You know, maybe the the gap for K State this year so far in conference, and and one reason that the defense hasn't been up to snuff against Oklahoma State and Oklahoma is that we don't really have those guys in the middle for us. I mean, Daniel Green, he's he's probably somebody ideal, you know, uh, fit wise in terms Mm -hmm. of his ability to move and his length. But otherwise, we have guys like Cody Fletcher and Ryan. Hennington, yeah, hey, there we go. Uh, who are more of these... We're slipping on some hitting. Yeah, but I, I think Henning, these aren't guys who are... These are more of the prototypical uh, 4-2 or even 4-3 linebackers that aren't quite as comfortable in coverage, aren't quite as comfortable in space. Although, Hennington should be comfortable in coverage. He was, he was a safety, too. Yeah. Um, but... I think that that may have something to do with this gap between personnel and ideal personnel for this scheme that's um, kind of caused K-State some problems so far.
0: You know, let's uh, just kind of wrap it up here with the Iowa State defense. You know, it's a talented defense. We've mentioned some of their big players. Let's talk about what K-State's going to be able to do to move the ball against this Iowa State defense because really what I think the this matchup comes out to is really more so when Iowa State has the ball. What is K State able to do to slow down their offense? But you know, let's let let us go ahead and just start there. When Iowa State has the ball on offense, I, I think that the recipe is somewhat simple, and I think it's you are going to say we'll take our chances with Brock Purdy being us in the air. If you and he's certainly more than capable of doing that. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to take my chances there, than rather Brees Hall getting six and a half yards to carry and, and running the ball, uh, you know, twenty five thirty times for two hundred and fifteen yards. So I uh, I think that with what K State's done against the run this season, non conference great, conference play not been so good. Right. Uh, this will be a really I think a really telling up. Uh, you know, opportunity for them to say, you know, had had a week, and I think that's too too is, true is important with um, with the bye week. You get a chance for, to reflect here a little bit, saying, you know, for, for the first three games we very good defensively. the Last two games, you know, not not really up to our standard right. here. Uh, what works, what doesn't work, and you know, K State got a little bit healthier hopefully over the bye week. It uh, looks like Boom Massey still might not be uh, able to uh, to be available at uh, the defensive end position. But if I'm K-State, and if I'm Joe Klanderman, I, I am not letting Brees Hall beat us on the ground. Uh, if they're going to beat us, uh, I'm
1: happy to let them beat us through the air. I, I totally agree. I think this is a game where K-State, where the Iowa State offense would be happy to rush Brees Hall 30 times um, for anywhere between 100, 150 and Two hundred and twenty yards, and get one hundred and thirty out of Purdy, and call it a day. Yeah, um, I, I think that K State's defense has to prioritize um, just guys on the line of scrimmage, and that's I, I don't think the sit back and wait for Brock Purdy mistake is a is a wise decision. Granted, I could be persuaded because he's sub, he's prone to mistakes, but I'd rather roll the dice, make a habit of rolling the dice, and. Make sure you plug uh, Brees Hall and, and keep him somewhat contained. Um, and where Brees Hall isn't getting the ball, send those guys to Purdy. Um, yeah. Because yeah. I think I'm much more comfortable. Let me put it this way Brees Hall's a surer bet than, than Brock Purdy, in my view. Um, yeah. And, I and agree with Purdy, that. I mentioned those completion percentage stats earlier. He's certainly had games where he's put together 80% completions on the day. Uh, but game, if, if we lose because Brock Purdy beat us with his arm, that's, that's just the poison we picked. But if we sit back and and let Brees Hall just gobble up yards, um, that'll be a real problem. On the other hand, however, as we saw in the Baylor game, Baylor, especially in the first half, uh, made their bones defensively by not giving up the big play and, mm-hmm. and forcing Iowa State to sustain drives, which eventually stalled out and, like we mentioned, was their undoing because they were having to settle for field goals. So, it's, I, I can see both ways. It, the, the ultimate goal isn't to stop Iowa State from racking up a ton of yards. The ultimate goal is keeping them out of the end zone. And, if if Klanderman says, well, we're okay giving up yards between the 20s if they can get them, but, what we really don't want is is the big chunk plays. Then yep. I can see that too. But all else being, I mean, I I think at the end of the day, it's we'll we'll take our chances on the chunk plays. We'll take our chances getting beaten over the top because frankly, I, I think the K State secondary is still probably the strongest unit on this team, especially yeah, now. Yeah. In,
0: in, in my whole thing when I'm looking at this matchup is I think the chunk plays are Bryce or is uh, Bryce Hall running the ball? Bryce Hall. Bryce Hall. Bryce Hall? Hall's a, he, Bryce Hall's the TikToker, isn't he? <laughs> I don't know. I think he is. It's Barstool. Play. Oh yeah, you're a little bit more
1: into the pop. Yeah, I'm. I'm big into that stuff. Oh, have you not been watching? Have you been watching TikTok instead of film? <sighs> well, a little pleasure, All right? Man. Yeah, yeah. Never, never. Your face is either. turning off red. You
0: know, hey, I got I, I love, I love. You know how much I love memes.
1: Yeah, you love memes, and you know, you got to do something when the coffee's brewing.
0: It's true. That's true. Okay. Absolutely. But, but but I think in, I, I think Brees yeah. Hall is that's their biggest play threat is him just running the ball for, and it might not be you know he might not be running popping off 35, 40 yard runs three or four times the game. I certainly hope he doesn't. Uh, but you know enough seven and eight yard uh you know chunk plays there from him that gets you down there in uh in the red zone pretty quickly. So I think you know that's the matchup that I'm looking for for K State. How can they slow him down? I mean, Brees Hall is going to get his um, is going to get his carries. I mean, he's going to they're going to work him probably the tune of twenty five carries at, at minimum. I feel like, um, and he's going to get hundred yards probably. You just can't let him get cooking and let him get too many big plays going on you uh, because he is uh, he's going to be one of those guys that, that is going to be one of the better running backs you're going to see
1: uh, in the country. Yeah, he's already had 300 yard rushing games. The uh, two games where he was the worst, uh, each for about roughly 70 yards uh, Iowa and Northern Iowa. You know, the Northern Iowa game 23 carries for Brees Hall, three yards per carry, 69 yards total. Um, but it, also in that game, it's just hard to make sense of that one. Brock Purdy, 21 of 26, uh, 199 yards. So the I mean, Iowa State offense is. You know they've they've had games where Purdy's got a ton of yards and they've looked bad. They've had games where um, Brees Hall's got a ton of yards and not looked great. Baylor. Um, And so there's multiple ways to skin this cat, and I think it's just going to come down to which one of those methods Klanderman wants to to uh, kind of go down.
0: And I think also too we can sit here and we can you know tossle about what we think is the better strategy, but really what it comes down to is you got to tackle better. That yeah. that's number one, yeah. um, And and as you mentioned, you know, in your view, uh, tackling poor tackling. And I agree with you, by the way. But poor tackling's become somewhat of a staple here of uh, Chris Kleinman's area here at K State. And if K State wants to find a way to win this game, if they want to find ways to win, you know, really any Big Twelve games here coming up, tackling's got to get a whole lot better. I don't think there's any question about yeah. that. Yeah. So
1: I mean, I, you you can't be missing tackles against Brees Hall because what could be a what Two be a or five, three yard game, yeah. five yard game, ten yard game turns into a 15-, 20-, 25 20 yard game. Yeah. So it's um, it, that you're absolutely right that that's imperative that K State limits those big plays by upping the uh, the tackling performances that they've shown.
0: Okay, so when K State has the ball offensively, you know I mentioned with the bye week, the bye week allows you to kind of look back at you know what you've done here through the first five games. With K-State, the first five games, they've had games like Nevada where they threw the ball, what, 13, 14 times? Sure. Because they were just able to bully around. Yeah. And and then against Oklahoma, you throw the ball over 40 times. Now, obviously, I think, you know, we have to look at who was playing quarterback there uh, Uh, with with K-State. But, you know, it gives you a chance to say, you know, we've had the ability to run the ball well at at times this season. Against Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, you know, not... Great, really running the ball, um, but when we last time out when we saw this K State team, I think it's the best game I've seen Skylar Thompson play at K State. Uh, really, I mean, in terms of just what he was able to do uh, from the pocket, I thought he, he, I thought he was as sharp as he's been at K State. Uh, I'll be anxious to see kind of what they've done in, during the bye week and uh, what Courtney Mess- Messingham has imagined for this offense here uh, going through the final seven games of the season.
1: Yeah, and and really. The uh, The most impressive part about Thompson against Oklahoma, and he was asked about this when he was made available for uh, the media recently, uh, was just his pocket presence. Yeah. Because the I beat mean, on it him. Was, it was, yeah. You look back at 2019, and he's not exactly a spring chicken in 2019 anymore. No. He's, he's, he's had several years, yeah. played a lot of football for K-State. Uh, but he was still ditching pockets early, taking sacks he shouldn't, um, and just never still, at that stage in his career, didn't look comfortable in the pocket. Yeah. And one point about the Oklahoma game is that he did look a lot more comfortable in the pocket. And he was asked, well, is this because you literally can't run out of the pocket? And he said, you know, I, I've gotten better at that. I've, it's something, it's part of my game I've worked on a lot, and I think I've just trained on it and focused on it and gotten better. And that, that it looked so stark against Oklahoma... It may, the way he explained it is just because he hadn't had a chance to really play that much over the last two years, and so it's just getting noticed a little bit more now. And I, I think that's a fair point that actually against Oklahoma last year, it, in his play last year, he did look more comfortable in the pocket. Yeah. Um, you know, in his limited time. And, and so far this year, in the, what, two full games he's played so far, I think he's looked pretty darn comfortable in the pocket too. And so... Uh, that's an element of his game that may have sneakily improved a lot and been what's really elevated his play in K-State's offense when he's been in the game over the last two years into the legitimately pretty darn good passing offense K-State put on display against Oklahoma.
0: Yeah, and I think K-State is going to have to get great play out of Thompson going forward, of course, against Iowa State. But uh, not only against Iowa State, but throughout the remainder of uh, right. the conference schedule if they want to find themselves in the you know, 8-9 win uh, threshold here. but
1: Because uh, the book on the K-State offense is pretty similar to what... I mean, we've talked about the similarities between the two offenses already. But what you and I said about the Iowa State offense, that's going to be the obvious strategy against K-State too. Don't let superstar Deuce Vaughn beat you. Make Skylar Thompson and some of these... In, wide in their, receivers. Yeah, yeah. Make, take your chances there. That's the.
0: Yeah, no, it, it's it's a really interesting match in terms of you're looking at kind of teams with mirror images offensively.
1: I think the difference here, though, is the defense. Well, and I think the, offensively, I think there's a legitimate difference. Yeah, no, I, I think that they are. But, there, no question. but I, I tend to agree that Iowa State, at least on paper, in, you know, they haven't lit up so far early this season, but at least on paper, um, Iowa State seems to be a slightly uh, upgraded version of this K-State team almost across the board.
0: I think that's fair to say, d With K-State offensively, I'm looking for Deuce Vaughn to be the bell cow, uh, whether if it's running the ball or, or catching the ball out of the backfield.
1: Or, out of, or out, of, out of the slot. Or
0: out of the slot, exactly right. And, you know, I'm looking here against Oklahoma, 15 carries for 51 yards, You know, was able to pop, you know, a couple of them for for first downs that, you know, uh, but he was pretty well bottled up on the ground. Sure, Uh, Receiving, you know, had 10 receptions for over 100 yards, really where he did most of his damage. You know, I look at him and say, K-State's just not really got a plethora of playmakers uh, on the offensive side of the ball. Chris Kleiman and staff talked about how they want to force feed Deuce Vaughn. This season, have him touch the ball 20, 25 times a game. Well, you had twenty-five times against Oklahoma. Uh, I expect that to be more of the same against uh, against Iowa State. And if K-State's going to have have success against Iowa State, I think he needs to have a little bit more uh, luck running on the ball, running uh, the gr- running the ground game through Deuce Vaughn and Joe Urban because in the last couple of games, K-State just really hasn't had that success on the ground.
1: No, and, and that's mostly been because well against Oklahoma State. The read on the K State offense pretty straightforward. Yeah, stop. Don't let Deuce Vaughn yeah. get yards when he rushes. The
0: Oklahoma sticking you can kind of almost throw out.
1: Yeah, and but even against Oklahoma, I mean, their strategy was clear too that they were going to make Skyler Thompson beat him with his arm. And luckily for K State, I mean, ultimately wasn't lucky enough to get the win. But Skylar Thompson rose to the challenge, and so did the rest of the offense. Really, yeah. because he looked offense
0: wasn't a huge issue. Well, you look at I close. mean, a
1: guy like Landry Weber. Yeah, played great. Had the best game of his career, and at times looked legitimately dynamic out there. Hundred uh, percent. Where he was uh, rushing around and juking Oklahoma defenders, and looked like a really, a really good receiver. Uh, but I think that's the level that Skylar Thompson gets you compared to somebody like Will Howard, where every everybody's play elevates to some degree when they have confidence in their quarterback and they have confidence that he knows what they're gonna do oh, too yeah. and just puts the ball in the right spot. And uh, but in any event I think against Oklahoma, K State proved that Skylar Thompson is good enough. Oh K State yeah. offense is good enough where if you devote all your attention and all your resources into stopping Deuce Vaughn on the ground, the K State has other ways to beat you.
0: And another guy I'd like to see a little bit more out of is uh, Daniel Matterbebe. I don't know if he's going to be able to be available or not. He is. He is. Well, you know, he only got about two snaps. He did have a big catch against Oklahoma. But uh, a guy that I'm hoping for, uh, if K-State's going to have a chance, I mean, it's kind of all hands on deck, especially on both sides of the ball. But offensive, defensive side of the ball, all hands on deck, getting as many talented guys out there as you can. Uh, And a matter has shown that you know he can be a little bit of a big play threat. You know, on that first play of the game against or second play or third play of the game, whatever it was against uh, Nevada, going the distance, he kind of gives you that same kind of element that Charlie Kohler does uh, for Iowa State. Now Kohler's a little bit more dependable in terms of his availability uh, than a matter baby, but uh, but a
1: matter I think, is more important. K State's offense and Kolar is to Iowa State's offense just because Iowa State has other options. Yeah. I mean, without a matter of a bay, the dynamic threats that secondaries have to worry about is pretty limited. And so, having that really third or fourth uh, pass catching offense or option that the defenses really have to be aware of and devote attention to, I think is immensely helpful for k-state i think k-state loses a lot when a matter of is unavailable
0: i agree i agree well before we get to our prediction here i want to uh take some time to uh, mention our friends over at manhattan brewing company again you know in addition to all the great beer and atmosphere that i've talked about uh, the, at, at manhattan brewing company which i'm I, like i said i can't wait to go out there and check it out for myself here Uh, This this weekend. Uh, But, you know, they're always hosting different events throughout the weekend. And and I know that we mentioned their Twitter profile earlier tonight. uh, but You can follow them on Instagram at Manhattan Brewing and on Twitter at Manhattan Brew. uh, So that you can stay up to date on all of the upcoming events and parties that they have going on at Manhattan Brewing Company. Uh, Just earlier today, I saw they had a uh, their NFL blitz. Um, NFL Blitz 2000, which I know you're 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 very good at DLo. I hey, I really like I really like NFL. Who is your team? I always like to play as the Buffalo Bills. You know, the Buffalo Bills had some success last yeah. week, didn't they? Um, against the Chiefs, didn't they? I don't really recall. Yeah, well, that, well, that's neither here nor there. But a lot of great uh, fun stuff that they have going on at Manhattan Brewing Company. So be sure to check them out uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Also, be sure to check out their website. Uh, with the, There is another place you can check out all the events they have going on. You can also purchase items through their shop, such as merchandise and, and t-shirt and hats, as well as tickets to upcoming events like Yoga at the Brewery on October 23rd and Pumpkins and Pites on October 24th. Be sure to visit their website for more information on all these exciting upcoming events. Uh, once again, their motto over at Manhattan Brewing Company is simple, we brew beer for the people of Manhattan because that's what we are and that's who we care about, and that's Manhattan Brewing Company at 406 Points Avenue. So excited to get back there again and uh, excited to go check out uh, the fine folks over there. May have a little bit of a time to, to sit down with those guys here a little bit later on. We're trying to work something out with them uh, to, to get them on here. I'd love to hear from them as well. Uh, but let's get into this game, d Lou. We kind of broke it down here for both sides of the ball. Iowa State, K-State. Ultimately, who comes away with
1: when win on Saturday? You know, I think it's... I think it's going to look not that different than the Oklahoma game. I I think that, although the Iowa State offense has certainly laid some eggs this year, I think uh, there's just too many weapons, and I I haven't seen K-State's defense um, really do much in Big 12 play in terms of slowing down some of these teams. Um, And so... I think it's too much Brees Hall. I think it's too much Brock Purdy. I I think Iowa State's going to get some points. Um, But, maybe I'm wrong. But I I, I think Iowa State probably gets in the range of, I'm going to say 34 for the Iowa State offense. Um, I think the K-State defense, or I'm sorry, I think the K-State offense is going to be good enough, put up up some yards against what I think is a darn good defensive unit um, and not be a far cry from what we saw against... uh, Oklahoma State, in terms of the offensive output, I, I have a little more faith that they're going to be able to be a little bit more dynamic, but not enough uh, for K-State. I think K-State loses this game 34-24.
0: to Lou, I hate your pick, but I have to agree with you. No. I think, unfortunately, this is a game that I don't think K-State matches up well. In. Uh, I think Iowa State's defense is one of the better ones in the conference. Like you said, offensively, I just... I, I haven't quite seen it from this defense here uh, since the calendars got flipped over to conference play. Uh, now, granted, they've gone up against two pretty darn good teams in conference play, yeah. with Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. So I think that's something to, to, you know, not to necessarily discount there. But gosh, I just don't know if I see K State making enough plays on the defensive side of the ball. And I think Iowa State's offense is capable enough to, to have success on the ground with Brees Hall. I'm seeing, similarly, I'm seeing
1: 34-21. And, and one one final point about the defense is Brock Purdy, like we mentioned, can move. Yeah. Um, and K-State's had some trouble with that this year so far. Uh, sure. Certainly struggled against Spencer Sanders and what he was able to do in kind of that intermediate passing game, but also because of the threat that he poses on the ground. Brock Purdy, of course, not quite as dynamic as Spencer Sanders, but somebody who's certainly comfortable out of the pocket. And, man... Uh, unless K-State can get consistent pressure on him, uh, I, I don't see Brock Purdy having a I, too hard of a time rising to the challenge uh, should K-State Stevens sell out to stop Brees Hall. Uh, so I think that second aspect of, of having to worry about the quarterback and, and some of these RPO schemes that Iowa State's going to really try to emphasize is uh, just going to be too tall of a task for the K-State defense.
0: Now, Deal, I'm going to ask you real quick. Does it change the calculus of this Harley day?
1: Well, that, that's a point that I, I didn't quite factor in. And I, I think it... Can I amend my pick? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think, um, given that it's Harley Day, and I can't believe I forgot this oversight, I think K-State wins this game 37-34. to 34. Wow. Yeah. So that's a 13-point swing for the Wildcats. That's something that could totally whoosh over my head. But I think between it being Harley Day a night game, Harley Day... Under the lights in Manhattan at Bill Snyder Family Stadium, I think K-State gets this done thirty-seven wow. to thirty-four. You're Stan. I'm Stan, baby. You're Stan. Yeah. Your hair's going away. My hair's going away. That's it'll be the that's the game uh, that he's he said that during the Iowa
0: State yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah. And you know I'm still gonna keep the same prediction because I gotta be fair. I don't see it for K State.
1: You already factored in. I like, already, I already had that. And factored. what was your number?
0: I'm saying thirty four twenty one Iowa State.
1: Okay, but you and I are both pretty certain Iowa State scoring 34 points.
0: We're we're take that to the bank, folks. Yeah, yeah. So okay, well, K State's a six and a half point underdog in this one. You've got the Cats winning outright, so I love it. I love, I, I, yeah. I would gladly crow on this one.
1: Yeah. So you you're taking Iowa State in the points. I'm taking K State, Kansas State, Kansas State. Oops. It's Clyde. It's Fort Snyder.
0: You, you know, K State needs a win here. Seven straight uh, conference game. Yeah, lo- conference game uh, losses.
1: If K State doesn't win this game, climb needs to go.
0: You're just gonna go out and say
1: it. <laughs> I, I'll say I'm the only one with the guts to say it. Nobody, Nobody else in this town has these the guts. I,
0: hey, you know what? I agree with you. And you know, I think that this is a telling game. I don't know if I'm going to say. Uh, one thing I'll say this though: you're out there. You're saying.
1: I'm saying if, if, if he doesn't get the win on the field, don't even bother walking back into Veneer. Just <laughs> Damn. get him out of here. Get back to Fargo. I you know I Take Gene with you. I hope, I hope the general... That, that I'll sign up for. I hope the general cans both of them. Well,
0: he's the lame duck himself.
1: Well, great. <laughs> All the All better. better. Clean get out here. Yeah. I, I mean... No, I, I love it, baby. I I think uh, this is an important game. It's a crossroads game. It it feels like it a little it bit. It is. Yeah, um, I agree. Just because, you know, obviously K-State just gets gobsmacked the last year. Oh, yeah. 45 I minutes. Mean, brutal. One of the worst one-sided performances I've seen against K-State, um, at least in the last five years or so. Um, but... I. Truly humiliating result um, for Kleiman and, and Kansas State in general. but So it, it feels like K-State really needs to get back on the right side of things um, just for program momentum. You think of things like local recruiting. Uh, Iowa State's had plenty of success in the Kansas City area coming in and poaching uh, guys that really f- K-State's had every right to get.
0: Brees Hall being maybe the, I mean not a Kansas City area guy, but maybe the shining example
1: of that. Sure. Um, and obviously that was different circumstances. Yeah, sure. But uh I think K-State would do well here to get back on the right side of this little regional rivalry and kind of keep Iowa State from ascending. Perception-wise, too far above uh where K-State's program currently is because right now, Iowa State's clearly a, a level above K-State. Yep. Let's call I, it what it let's, is. Let's be fair. I mean, and you could say COVID year last year, but Iowa State won the Fiesta Bowl. Yep. They were a preseason top 10 team. And uh they've... Leaked a little oil this year so far. Yep. But so is K State, and you know, Iowa State. The the perception of Iowa State and the perception of the two programs, they're not K State's not above them anymore. Nope. And I don't aren't. think K State's on the same level anymore. I, I, Iowa State. And I said at this point, that. And I said feels that, like a bigger program.
0: Yeah. I and I said that last year too at the time. And um and you know I think it has to do with Matt Campbell being a dynamic guy. Uh, he's you know. Had opportunities. It sounds like to go to the NFL. Uh, other colleges, you know, have, have, have other programs yes. have, have gotten involved. But he's, you know, building something at Iowa State that he he feels strong about. Now I don't know how long he's going to stay at Iowa State. Maybe another ten years. Maybe, maybe this is his last. Who knows? Um, but uh, as long as he is at Iowa State, they will be a, a very good
1: program. You know, I uh, I sat next to Matt Campbell at dinner over the summer.
0: I remember you told me that.
1: I said, I said. I sat down there with my wife and I said, "Hey, I think that's Matt Campbell." She said, "Who the hell's Matt Campbell?" Yeah, I said, she,
0: well, she she wasn't necessarily, you know, up to speed yet on 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 all the coaches in the Big Twelve yet. No yeah, right? and
1: I told her, I told her, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask if if he's Matt Campbell." She said, "No, you're not." I said, "Yes, I am." I said, "If you got a problem, with it, you can go go to the bathroom."
0: Yeah, go powder your nose.
1: So sure enough, he gets he stands up and I say, "You better go." And she goes to the bathroom and he walks by and I say, "Are you Matt Campbell?" He says, "Yeah, I am." I sure am. I said, noted. (laughs) Have a nice night. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, any any further dialogue? I I said, hey, take it easy on K-State this year, will you? And and what do you say? He laughed. Didn't necessarily agree. Didn't disagree. So, Matt, if if you're listening to this, I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. I I pray that he is. But I want him to consider my request that I made. um, Take it easy on this a little bit. Yeah. Give us a break. Well, I don't think it'll be 45 nothing. No, I don't, I don't think so enough. either. And, uh, you know, I I think that this, you know, if, it's an important game, but K-State 7-point dogs. It, it wouldn't be a shocking result if K-State lost. You picked them to lose. I, I picked them to lose until, until I remembered uh, the uh, intangibles. So, yes. But uh, this would be a really, really nice upset win to have. And a... Uh, Conversely, I, I think we, I think Oklahoma can legitimately be characterized, if not a moral victory, something approaching it. Not yeah, a not, a, not right. a loss that felt too gutting. But K State, there's no moral victory in this game, regardless. No. K State, it, it's win or or lose, and there's there's really no in between. And a, a win would be extremely sweet, and a loss would be devastating. Yep. Because K-State's staring down the barrel of 0-3 with a road contest looming against Texas Tech. They ain't going to be able to walk in the park either.
0: No. No, I mean, in Texas Tech, I don't really know what to make of them. But Me neither.
1: But, but I, I'm not as comfortable about it as I was uh, at the beginning of the year. Sure. Um, sure. And I I'm certainly am not penciling it in as a W right now. And I think it's certainly possible K-State could even be an underdog going into that game, depending on what the two teams do this week. Uh, and if that's the case, K State's 0 and 4, and it's at that point we're clearly leaking oil. Oh yeah, and so this and is it, a, chance. a bowl
0: game seems to be a, a uh, would be an upset at that point.
1: It would be a, a struggle to get there for sure. Yeah. And so um, on the other hand, a win this week, K states sitting at four and two, one and two in the conference. It has a really nice win against Iowa State, win against Stanford, uh, and you can rationalize the two Oklahoma losses as being well, Howard wasn't in there for... Or Howard was in was there for, there Oklahoma, for the State. A- Oklahoma State. And at the end of the day, this team could easily be an eight a- or 9-win team. And so it, it just really feels like this is a put-up or shut-up week for K-State and uh, will go a long way in determining, um, you know, not just the rest of this season, which it will, but kind of the general program perception level and kind of K-State's pecking order relative to its peers in the Big 12 during this unprecedented time of transition
0: very well said D. thank you i think that was that that's that's some of your best work right there thank you but you know what i i, I think that uh, this maybe serves as a great time uh to transition in, into what is your calling card here on the short side option and that D. Lou is this week's wildcat legend wow you did that great well thank you i i i learned from the best
1: <clears throat> well, like on this week's Wildcat Legend, he's from West Palm Beach, Florida.
0: Oh, a Florida cat.
1: He is of Haitian descent.
0: Oh, hey. Startup. Big Ronnie.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, how about that? How about that? Uh, He's a community college product. Okay. He attended Dream U. Oh, Indy. Indy, yeah. Okay. Um, what
0: What, what did you make of that? Uh, the announcer for for Dream You on, on Last Chance You, what was his name like Jeff, so, like Crawford or something?
1: Honyak.
0: Yeah. You <laughs> <laughs> he he want to talk about Honyak? The story begins and ends with Frank. <laughs> that, that that guy was the biggest hanyak on the show.
1: Frank, the graduate assistant quarterback coach, who <laughs> <laughs> was sleeping in like a closet or something. Yeah, it unpaid a, in <laughs> a
0: cinder block dorm
1: room. Yeah, old oh, Frank. Uh trying Franck to, Di-
0: Franck Diaz.
1: Trying to dial in uh who's that quarterback? Malik Henry. Yeah, Malik Henry. Not Malik not to be confused with Malik Harris, former K State Malik stuff. Henry, former five star quarterbacks having to get <laughs> advice get from Frank. Franck,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> Frank's playing his uh you know, sports psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a good season. That was a really good that season. That was a great season. That uh Yeah, that was good stuff. And the uh, the, the announcer um Talking about Neo Walla and all that. Yeah. Dream you. Anyway, that's where our Wildcat legend hails from. Um, came to K-State. This is going to start giving it away here. Okay. Um, came to K-State to play quarterback. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I'll, I'll give it away with this one. He has a twin brother who also played for K-State. And had one of the most legendary plays in K-State history, which happened to come... In Farmageddon.
0: Oh, I got it, baby. Yeah.
1: Slamming Sam. Slamming Samuel Murr. Yeah, that's right. Samuel Murr, born June 8th, 1989. Just a couple months before me. Uh, came to uh, K State from Independence Community College. Played in seven games at Independence for the Pirates in 2007, uh, where he had a really prolific season at quarterback. He completed 18 of his 44 pass attempts uh, for 217 yards. Uh, he also rushed. Four times for 11 yards. So, you know, pretty good clip, and it's easy to see why uh, the Pirates were high on him. Um, spent the, 2000 se- the 2008 season at Joliet, where he played in eight games for the Wolves, uh, where he, had, he was more prolific, improved across the board. 25 of 58, throwing the football for 358 yards and a touchdown, tacked on 48 yards on 19 carries and another score there. Uh, Kent k State as was the case with many Wildcat legends, won the Red Raider Award. Oh, yeah.
0: That's a big deal.
1: Uh, and uh, K-State, he saw action in four games as a backup quarterback. He spent uh, a lot of time in that 2010 game against Nebraska. That uh, that was a mm. rough night. Uh, he went 3 yeah. of 3 there uh, for 28 yards and ran three times for uh, 22. You know, after
0: that game, I remember I had my take
1: and that's it. Samuel Merny. No,
0: I wanted to pull of the red shirt on Billy Kosh. I want to see what Billy Kosh had because he was like the all time like high school um, touchdowns leader like in in Maryland like history or whatever it was. Yeah. And I wouldn't see. I wouldn't see somebody that could th- sling it a little bit out there.
1: Yeah. I remember thinking he could be Chad, man. He could be. Maybe he could have been. Yeah. Never, tough to tell. He's a legend. Um. Boy, Billy Kosh. He's a future walk legend, too. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Uh, anyway, uh, he also had time uh, against uh, Missouri State, Kansas, and Texas in 2010. Um, in 2011, great season for K-State, he uh, he saw time in three games that year as a senior. Threw uh, six passes for 42 yards, which, uh, you know, those are all career highs. Um, and that was against Kent State. He ran the ball three more times for 15 yards and his first career touchdown for Kansas State. He came against Kansas in 2001. I remember that game. Yeah,
0: a uh, that was the uh, that was a big game for K State because that was right before we played OU, I believe. Right. And uh, you know, K State was, I believe, seven and zero going in that game uh, against Oklahoma, and uh, of course came out on the on the short end of things that day, but. Great season. 2011, you know, when I look back at different uh, K-State seasons, 2011 is right up there in terms of the ones that I maybe remem- remember most fondly. Uh, 99 is another one that I, that's right up there for me uh, because everyone thought that K-State was just this one, you know, flash in the pan. 98 is going to be the only year that they're any good. They're going to go back down to being a— you know, 7-8 win team in 99, and, and K-State, uh, you know, falls that up. Uh, their 1998 season up with 11 wins in 1999. So, uh, great season there. 2011 just had a bunch of nail-biting games throughout the season. Uh, that was the story of that whole season. And uh, it was an exciting, unexpected kind of surprise. We thought K-State could be probably pretty good that year. We thought maybe 8-4 uh seven and five somewhere around there being a, a solid bowl team but eleven and, or ten and two where case they found themselves that year and playing the Cotton Bowl can't beat it.
1: Yeah. No. I uh two thousand eleven was an incredible year and uh, a lot of that was due to uh, the steady play of Samuel Lemur. Uh after Kansas State.
0: Oh we are, we were going on the past Kansas so Yeah I love this. A little bit of an epilogue.
1: Okay. Um Samuel Lemur played pro football. He played quarterback for the Tampa Bay Storm. Oh, that's and, one of the
0: more storied franchises in the Arena League.
1: Yeah. And uh, according to um, this article on SP Nation, Bucks Nation. Oh, reputable site. A Tampa Bay Buccaneers community. Uh, Samuel Murr played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Buccaneers, or was associated with that organization at some point. Oh, okay. Playing linebacker. Trying to
0: channel some of uh, Emanuel's yeah. uh, success to the next level.
1: I don't know whether that's... It, it can't be a typo, because Bucks Nation is above reproach when it comes to reported facts. 100%. But that's a fact that I did not know prior to doing this uh, research, this extensive research, uh, preparing for the Wild, this week's Wildcat Legend. And so, who knew? Samuel Murr, professional well, NFL football player. You
0: know, I think that we can say that all of our listeners this week will will be better for knowing that now. Yeah. So, uh, that's exciting. Great work is always uh, their deal.
1: Yeah, and so, uh, but Samuel Murr, whether it was for the Tampa Bay Storm, Tampa Bay Bucks, uh whether it was racking up yards, sling the ball around the field against Kansas, um, or whether it's just being good sport for his twin brother Emmanuel, who had the famous uh, extra point block against Iowa State and Arrowhead Stadium. Uh, it really, it's for all those reasons that Samuel Samuelmer is this week's Wildcat Legend, an icon. Uh, we're going to get into our final segment on the show, a segment that we like to call uh, "Ask the Icon," where listeners can, of course, submit their questions to the very own Chris the Icon Sork, uh, and he'll answer them for you. He'll He'll shout into the microphone and answer whatever queries you have. And uh, any other methods you want to use are, are certainly available, too. Uh, if you catch uh, the icon on vacation, perhaps on a deep-sea fishing trip, yeah. on a deep-sea yeah. fishing yeah. voyage. yeah. You uh, a, a little known fact, if you tell the captain that he has to ask one of the souls on his ship a question, he is legally obligated to, under the law of the sea, to by go the maritime acid. law. Yeah. yeah, by maritime law. To go ask that question on behalf of one of the other souls on his ship, and so uh, that's certainly a method that you can use to reach the icon. Uh, in this week, our first question comes from, hmm, oh dear,
0: mailbox empty.
1: <laughs> the mailbox is empty.
0: Oh man. Any questions for the icon?
1: Did any have you been approached by any sea captains lately?
0: No, I, I don't. I don't think I have actually. Well, I've been landlocked.
1: Any pigeons?
0: No pigeons, not that, not, not that I've seen.
1: Any destructive acts of vandalism or violence? That it, <laughs> oh yeah! Matter?
0: Now that you mention it, when I, I, I you know because we we come over here, I'm gonna go take the fans behind the curtain here. We go over to I come over to dealer's house to, to uh, record the episode of the short side option, and you know I did notice that I had I had uh, shoe polish all over my oh. uh, my windshield and you know adjourning windows. Um about I, I did I noticed that there was a written message there for me. Oh, what did it say? It said, Hi Icon. <laughs> I have a question for you. Oh, really? He said, and, and the question was the question was, <laughs> when will Matt Campbell leave Iowa State? Oh. He's been too much of a thorn in the side of Kansas State here over the last three years. He's been too much of a hanya. Yeah, he has been. And to that I say, if I was to guess... If I was to guess. I think he leaves when the Notre Dame job comes open.
1: Yeah, maybe. If he's still hot enough.
0: And I don't think that... Maybe the NFL comes calling. Maybe it doesn't. I know it has before. At least been interested. Uh, But other than that... Uh, I don't really see uh, him leaving Iowa State anytime soon, unless it's for a job like in Ohio State, uh, or maybe a Michigan. Would if they were to fire Jim Harbaugh ever, uh, or um, Notre Dame, one of those three main schools, kind of in, in the uh, in the heart of the Midwest there.
1: Yeah, I, I think that that those jobs are uh, certainly available too, or um, certainly ones that Iowa State fans could probably be most worried about. On the other hand, man, he's got to be a little bit careful, because his star might fade uh, a little bit. Um, well,
0: his star certainly won't fit in Ames.
1: Right. No, I agree. So I, I'm he, saying that yeah, he, made, have, yeah, he exactly. was the hot name uh, for really the last two or three years, kind of around football. Um, but, you know, if, if he goes out and loses four games this year, which is certainly possible, certainly. Um, has kind of a backward step Next year too, and they're back to winning six, seven, eight games a year. Um, You know, he his star might not his name might not be so sexy once this upward trajectory of uh, that Iowa State's been on kind of plateaus or maybe regresses a little bit. And so, um, well, and you know we've seen that, and he's getting paid pretty well, and he's he's got full rank. I mean, he could be a lifer. He could could be be a Bill Snyder type guy if, assuming he stays in that. Range that's good, not great, but certainly good at Iowa State and certainly good enough never to be fired. I mean, it, it's a little reminiscent of Mike Gundy, where yeah. people kept calling him uh, for a while, and eventually it became clear that there, there really wasn't a job absent maybe, you know, a huge job uh, that would have him leaving Stillwater and, um, you know, his, his 2011 his star after 2011 faded a little bit, too, just because he never quite had that truly um, transcendent season. But, uh, so no, I don't think it's out of the question that he's there for life. But in order for him to be there for life, I think that he's he can't fly too close to the sun or else he's going to get scooped up by yep. by an Ohio State of Michigan and Notre Dame once those jobs come open. Or like we've mentioned earlier, Penn State. Yeah, if, Penn State would be an option. James Franklin yeah. So, yeah. Um, but he's certainly a, a very good candidate, and, and people like him, and at this point, I think it's pretty well-deserved. Uh, and you're
0: personal friends with him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He likes to eat at Graham and Dunn when he comes to Kansas City, and so, um, and he's, he'll, he will answer the question truthfully if you ask him to identify himself. <laughs> I, <laughs> I shouldn't have said, hey, are you Matt King? I should have said, who are you? <laughs> I'm Matt Campbell, identify yourself.
0: <laughs> Paper, sir. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Hand him over. Um, you know, no, that that's a that's a good story you shared there. Yeah, this was a great episode here. We kind of got we got all f- we
1: had a little time to. We didn't have the game recap. We could kind of yeah, sit back, gotta, and... just break down the clones. Break down the clones. Share personal anecdotes. Talk about Manhattan Brewing.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're calling for Chris Climent said if we lose. I think he.
1: I think if we win by. By fewer than three. I want him out.
0: <laughs> you want him canned? Yeah. Enough's enough. He's a loser. I like it. I like it. I like you reading it out there with your chest. Saying it with your chest there. Yeah. And you know what? I don't want to have to come back on this podcast next week and say that K State's lost eight straight conference games.
1: And Chris Kleiman is gonna to try to write the ship on number nine. Yeah. Down in Lubbock. Ugh.
0: Not not a not an appetizing uh viewpoints or non appetizing thought to, to to have there.
1: Nine losing nine in a row is the equivalent of losing the whole season. An entire life. season's worth. Yeah. Pathetic. Not good. Not good. Yeah.
0: Well, that'll do it here for us here on the Short Side Option Podcast. Uh we'll be back next
1: week to hopefully <laughs> hopefully uh hopefully celebrate a Kansas State win or start <laughs> speculating as to who's gonna be our interim head coach. <laughs>
0: yeah. I you know, I can't you just imagine uh General Myers out there in, in full leather <laughs> after Harley Day, canning, climbing in the locker room.
1: I, I like to imagine General Myers in the full leather, listening to the Short Side Option podcast and saying, "Holy, holy cow, these guys,
0: these guys really—they uh, really let me have it." You
1: know? I, I need to really consider firing Client if he doesn't win this week. <laughs> the guys in the Short Side Option tell me so. And it, he's just staring at an old school military map of. <laughs> the Kansas Iowa border (laughs) yeah you know this is farm again man this is is big this is big stakes and it's it's uh, I was reminded this week this is the corner war because Iowa State Iowa the state of Iowa and Kansas they damn near touch yeah but they don't do they no but that's why they close that's why they call it the corner war baby okay hey I like it no they don't share they don't quite share a border but they almost touch corners okay Wow, that's... That's what Farming and Purists refer to it as. Is it, a, our good friend Piss Clams. Like oh, this. yeah,
0: that's right. I, I knew I had heard the best of the business, folks. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that'll do it here for us here on this edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. Thanks for listening, and go cats.